This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're sipping on stories about how access, legislation, and circumstance affect what we drink. I think now it's really changing that there's a growing excitement about drinks that are zero-proof and alcoholic. So it just felt like kind of a very good timing. This plant's been around for millions of years, and uh, I just think that it's so special, so uniquely uh, American and pre-American, that it just should have a very prominent place in our society, you know, for a lot of different reasons. It is helpful to be able to sell one drink. It would be more helpful to be able to sell two or three at a time. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to HR and Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Charleston. At least it is in our minds. I'm Kat Johnson, the Communications Director at HRN, here with my lovely team, Katie Mosman-Wadler, our Executive Director. Hi, Katie. Hi, Kat. Good to be with you. And Hannah Forden, our Program Manager. Hey, Kat. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. Um, Our guest today uh, is extra, extra special um, because normally at this time of year, our team would have packed our bags and our microphones, and we would have been heading down to Charleston, South Carolina for one of our absolute favorite times of the year, Charleston Wine and Food, of course, as we are living through COVID-19, this year is different and a giant food festival where people gather together and eat and talk and do all the things that we can't really do right now. Things are things are just looking different. And so we have a, our guest of honor today on to talk about, you know, what's going on this year. We're going to reminisce about last year's festival and then talk about what the future is going to look like. So please welcome Jillian Zettler, the executive director of Charleston Wine and Food Festival. Welcome, Jillian. Hi, thanks for having me. We're so glad to see you, Jillian. I'm so glad to see you too. You guys are like a little fresh breath of New York air that I can't wait to breathe again. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh, I know we're all just like so itching to travel and visit people and places and eat things that we miss. Um, Well, Jillian, kind of to kick things off, I I would just love to hear, I mean, we're all kind of going through this one year anniversary thought process of what were we doing last year before we got shut down. Kind of share with us some of your favorite memories or favorite memory from last year's festival that kind of sticks with you and and keeps you going. You know, it's kind of wild because I feel like we felt like as a team, I've been doing this now for over seven years in Charleston and been doing festivals for over a decade. And I felt like last year was the most logistically sound operationally functional experience I had ever produced ever. And not to say that there weren't imperfections, there absolutely were, but it just felt like we were finally driving the the boat and the boat wasn't yanking us along, you know? And that was the general tenor of the team when when we broke down the event and, you know, eating pizza and and fist bumping and high fives and all that. So just to like it, and then it was like a rocket ship after that, you know, the breakdown and, um, and the recap. And then like, what didn't, what didn't have to happen after that, because everything else happened. But, 
Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think one memory that sticks out in my head big time is um, the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir singing um, May the Road Rise to Meet You in the tent before our event started with them. And just like, I don't know, the words are so like apropos at this point. But um, I think that's one of my best memories from 2020. I just wanted to interrupt to say um, for any listeners who might be joining our show um, recently who might not be super familiar with the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. Jillian, could you just give a little bit of scale for um, what this festival looks like and how many attendees? I mean, this is a massive multi-day, many faceted production um, of which we've always had a small part every year in doing our live broadcast from the tent on the festival grounds. But can you give just a quick overview of what like a typical Charleston Wine and Food Festival entails? Yeah, absolutely. So the festival celebrated its 15th year this past year in 2020. Um, We produce over usually around 130 events that take place in five days. They range in size and scale from, you know, intimate wine tastings for about 10 people to the culinary village, which is probably the most like festival like experience, which can see over 3000 people a day, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So in 2020, we had the the most widely attended event that we've had in its history with over 30,000 guests. Um, The economic impact from the festival was over $20 million um, for the city of Charleston in that five-day period. We welcomed over 500 chefs and winemakers and experts from all over the country and across the pond and around the world. Um, So it is, it's a a huge event. And our core team is nine full-time employees Um, and then numerous contractors and volunteers and temporary staff and all sorts of things that, um, that make the event possible. But it is, it is a wild and woolly production. That is for sure. Thank you so much for that. I mean, it's just, I've been there and it's still just stunning how massive it is and how widely attended, um, and what an impact the festival has. So I just want to make sure that everybody sort of understands like the scale of, you know, something that was exactly a year ago that feels, um, you know, I, I can't imagine being with 30,000 people right now. Um, but it is such an incredible coming together. And I was so sad to miss the festival last year because I had just had a baby and I was like, can I do it? Can I do it? If I had known what was coming, I would have been there. I would have found a way that newborn and I would be like on the plane. Um, but as it was, I was like, I'll see you next year. Um, but you know, it's been such an amazing experience to be part of that. And, um, yeah, just really looking forward to seeing, um, what's in store for the future as I, I know there will be some, um, positive lasting changes to come out of this very extremely trying and sad year. Absolutely. So we're going to circle back on that and talk more about kind of like memories from last year, you know, what's happening this year and, you know, how, how Charleston Wine and Food is kind of taking this time to think long-term, which I think is awesome. Um, but real quick, let's pivot over to a few, um, network announcements. And the first one that I wanted to mention was that we have a event coming up, a virtual event on March 16th, Tuesday, March 16th at six, 6 30 PM. Um, so if you are like, you know, like all the rest of us and, 
you're nearing the end of winter and you need some things to look forward to, this is the this is the event for you. So we're teaming up with um, Chef Deborah Van Treese, uh, who's down in Atlanta, and she has her first cookbook coming out called the Twisted Soul Cookbook. It's looks amazing. It looks beautiful. The food is looks just like you could eat it off the page. The photos are bright and colorful. Um, she is going to be in conversation with Dana Cowan, the host of Speaking Broadly on HRN, um, talking about kind of where that her you know culinary influences come from, both her childhood in Kansas City, but also interestingly, she was an American Airlines flight attendant for many years, and so traveled all across the world. And so, you know, her vision of soul food is actually quite global. Um, so attendees to that event can buy a ticket. Um, join us for that conversation. She's also going to demo a couple of recipes from the book. And then you'll also get a copy of the book mailed directly to you from Books Are Magic. So definitely don't wait, get those tickets. If you buy your ticket before March 10th, Books Are Magic has told me that you will get your book before the event starts, which is the day the book comes out. So you'll be one of the first. Um, but yeah, their tickets are on sale uh, up until a couple hours before the event starts. So make sure you join us. Um, okay. So next we want to talk a bit about some of our new shows. Um, Katie, do you want to chat a bit about kind of, you know, over the past year, the new shows we've brought on, it's been quite a lot actually. Yeah. So, um, as anyone who's been following us knows, uh, 2020 was our, no, 2019. I've got COVID goggles on. Um, 2019 was our 10 year anniversary and so you heard a lot from us about um, what it meant to celebrate a decade of food radio, um, what it meant to say we were the premier food radio station, what it meant to fundraise with 10 years under our belt and looking forward at what the next decade would bring. Um, so, you know, the 10-year the anniversary is a really big milestone. You might not have heard us talk as much about our 11-year anniversary, but we had that one too. And uh, my favorite thing about that is that we added 11 new shows in our 11th year, um, bringing our roster of um, current weekly shows is right around 40 and slowly creeping up as we've got a few more coming on board. Um, but it was a pretty surprising development, right, that in the year that we had to close our studio in March and um, figure out how to produce all of our content in an entirely new and virtual way. And then to figure out how to just keep in touch with everybody when we weren't coming into the office and we weren't coming into Roberta's. Uh, and suddenly to find this really streamlined system of um, working remotely, bringing on additional engineering hours to do all the editing that comes with recording all of our tracks separately in our homes and all of our dogs barking and city noises and everything going on in the background. Um, but to actually take that as an opportunity to say, hey, what happens when we're not necessarily constrained by a physical space or a schedule where only one thing can be happening at a time? And to say, actually, what are the possibilities of opening this up? And so I'm so happy to say that we have added shows from all around the country and a few um, that cross international borders in the past year. Um, I think this is a change that is going to be uh, one of the lasting positives like we've talked about. Um, you know, just a couple of examples. Um, we're so happy that we were able to bring in an existing show called Item 13, an African food podcast. It's hosted by Yorm Tago, and she is based out in Seattle. She's um, 
just amazing. And that's been uh, such a joy to be able to work with her and bring that show into the fold of HRN. It's totally in line with our mission and our programming. We've got Agave Road Trip, which I can't believe that's only new this year, you know, but it you know, feels like we've been working with Lou Bank um, for a decade, although we only just met him a couple of years ago in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, when we were down there for a work trip, we crashed the Bartenders Guild meeting and there he was um, doing an agave spirits tasting. So now you can check out Agave Road Trip. And um, Lou is based in Chicago and his co-host Chava Perivan is based in Mexico City. And so now we've got a show that's not only not being recorded from inside Roberta's, but it's coming from Mexico City and from Chicago at the exact same time. I think this is just incredible. And um, a few others we've brought on. Uh, one that I'm just filled with joy about is Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. This is the creation of the amazing Mexican chef Zarela Martinez. Um, you may know her restaurant Zarela that was one of the pioneering places for regional Mexican cuisine in New York. Um, she produces that with her son Aron Sanchez um, of MasterChef and um, many other TV and um, actual physical restaurant spaces. Um, super well known an incredibly endearing pair. They have some serious mother-son tension that comes across as well. Um, and so these are just a few examples of shows that we might not have been able to actually produce in the before times in the same way. And so a lot of potential being fulfilled. Um, and you can check out the full lineup at heritageradionetwork.org slash new shows uh, to see some of that roster. But it's just been amazing. I could go on all day, but I'm going to stop there and point you to that page. Uh, this is Hannah. And one of the new shows that we're especially proud of and we're very motivated to create is um, The Big Food Question, which if you've been following along on our social media lives or on our website is a project we're really excited about. Um, and that was created sort of out of conversations that we had as a team um, early in the pandemic where we were seeing so many of our friends and colleagues and community members um, in the food world, the restaurant world, the agriculture world, and beyond being hit especially hard um, by COVID and wanting to do something really active and palpable um, to support. Um, obviously, what we do every day is give voice to folks in the food world, but we wanted to do something that um, was a direct resource to address all of the new and existing challenges that popped up and were made worse by COVID. Um, and so we created the big food question. And just like it sounds, each episode is exploring a big question. And there are lots and lots of big questions right now. Um, and we do our very best to seek out expert advice, look at case studies of how folks in almost every corner of the food world are dealing with challenges. So we've looked at things like how can restaurants um, improve delivery? How can they bring it in-house so that they're not hemorrhaging money to third-party apps? We look at tips for folks who want to get into home gardening and growing their own food when the grocery store might not be the safest place to be. Um, and one episode that I recently worked on that I'm especially proud of as we're sort of hitting the one-year mark um, of COVID is looking at the very specific mental health challenges that are being presented to hospitality professionals. Um, and 
it feels especially pressing to talk about it today because a big part of our coverage in Charleston last year was we devoted um, an entire day of our conversations to talking about wellness. And we don't mean wellness like skincare or, um, you know, Whole30. We were talking about taking care of your body, mind, and spirit um, as folks working in this industry. And we had some really incredible conversations. We talked about um, sobriety. We talked about um, being a parent in the industry and the challenges presented by that. And it was one of the major highlights of that sort of last weekend on earth. And so this is a continuation of those types of conversations on the other end of the pandemic. We speak with folks who are working um, at a grassroots level, um, hospitality professionals who have taken it upon themselves to found nonprofit organizations like Hasela Viles from Not 9 to 5 in Toronto, um, Zia Sheikh of Restaurant After Hours, that's here in New York, um, who have, with the support of mental health professionals, seek to create resources to help managers, to help um, individuals both in and out of work in the industry, um, figure out how to take the best care of themselves, figure out what resources are out there if they need support with substance issues, support with mental health issues, if they just need a group of people to meet up with every week and chat with. Um, and it was really incredible. Um, I also was lucky enough to talk to our dear, beloved, and wise friends from processing our podcast on HRN that is all about the intersection of food and grief. Um, so we got to speak with mother-daughter duo, Zara Tangora and Bobby Comforto, which is always a real pleasure. So if that's something you want to explore, and God knows, I think we all need it. Again, as we hit this one-year mark, you can check out um, the most, or not the most recent episode of The Big Food Question, but the uh, question posed is how can restaurants support um, staff mental health, I believe, but something like that. So check it out. Awesome. Um, and that's a really great kind of setup to what we are going to jump in and talk about with Jillian about, you know, how um, similar to how our our series, The Big Food Question, was really about kind of reaching out and supporting the food and restaurant industry. Um, we're going to talk about what Charleston Wine and Food did um, kind of as kind of a first round of response to help restaurants and, and what they're thinking about now. So we're going to go to a quick break. So when we come back, we'll have an uninterrupted conversation with Jillian Zettler, uh, executive director of Charleston Wine and Food. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. All right. Welcome back to HR and Happy Hour. Today, we are here with Jillian Zettler, the executive director of Charleston Wine and Food. So Jillian, we just talked a bit about, you know, the ways that HRN kind of tried to jump in and provide support and resources and guidance to the restaurant community that, you know, we're, we're, one of these nonprofits that works so closely with with a lot of restaurants, similar to how Charleston Wine and Food, not just one time a year, but like all year, you're really working within the Charleston restaurant scene. So tell me about a bit about the festival last year kind of wrapped and pretty much right after COVID happened, shutdowns happened, and restaurants had to start na- had to start navigating these shutdowns and in some cases like reopen or half capacity or what it may be. So 
how did your nonprofit, how you know, Charleston Wine and Food is a nonprofit, how did your team kind of jump in to help support restaurants in your in your region and then within your network, you know, not just in Charleston, but your network nationally? Well, I mean, I think in the beginning it was like all of us, I mean, we were all so naive, right? Like we thought it was going to be a couple of weeks at first. So I feel like there was this weird, like dancing space of it being super scary, but like, we're not going to be here that long, right? Like it's not going to be that we're going to be out of this. We're going to be on the, on the back side of it. And then I think like, as the reality started to set in, like, oh, nobody's going anywhere for a while. And that the, the news started to shift, you know, we started to look at what resources we have. And one of the, one of the things that I think is the strongest asset that we can give is the megaphone that we have, right? That people were, we had just wrapped, people were paying attention to the channels. So it, we, I mean, we didn't recap anything with the festival. We just started to look at what are the resources that we have at our fingertips that can either share information with the industry that they may be trying, seeking to find. And then from a consumer standpoint, I think like what what came shortly after that was also going, okay, who's open, who's open, who, and who has pivoted and where can you get takeout and, you know, what, what places are, um, are still in business. And so we had highlight reels on our social media where we were directing people, you know, of who was open to business. We started an open for business page on our website. Um, and then using, you know, not necessarily trying to become the engine that is, um, you know, the independent restaurant coalition, which we know, like, you know, was kind of like born from this and was, be was a place and a beacon for so many restaurants, but how can we take all the information that we're getting it and kind of aggregate it in one place so people aren't having to bop around all over the place and figure things out. So that became, I think, you know, that was the content generation uh, was just what's important for people to know on the industry side and then what's important um, on the consumer side with ways to support. I mean, and this is a year, so I know I'm consolidating a little bit of timing here. Um, you know, there were some amazing individuals locally who started a now new nonprofit. I know you guys were talking about nonprofits born from this time. There's an amazing local nonprofit called Pay It Forward that started a grocery initiative for hospitality workers. Um, we made a financial contribution to that organization. Um, and, you know, and thankfully they're, they're still around and figuring out how to scale and continue to support. Um, and then I think also just like riding the line of wanting to, um, you know, wanting to try to ask how we can help but also being cognizant of the fact that people are just trying to figure out how to keep their employees on staff, how to pivot themselves. So it's like anything that you wanted to do just didn't, I mean, to be honest, it just didn't feel like enough. There wasn't enough money. There wasn't enough resources. There just wasn't enough. Um, you know, I've been sitting on a group, a restaurant advisory council group that the city pulled together uh, for about, ugh, gosh, 10 months now. Um, and, you know, e just even trying to be aware of what was happening locally in our own, you know, in our own city. Um, we made some recommendations on outdoor dining guidelines, pulled research together with our team, because a lot of what people were trying to figure about, about 
figure out were the logistics of what we do all the time, live events, barricading and permitting and all of those things. So we kind of had our hands in a lot of different pots. And um, many of those were internal conversations. And I guess, you know, some of those things were external. Externally, we just wanted people to be buying takeout and buying gift cards and thinking about how to hold up the um, the re- independent restaurants in their communities so that hopefully they were there to enjoy when we got to the other side of this. So, you know, kind of follow-up question I want to ask on that is like, as you're, as you're looking forward, there was a really great piece in the Charleston City paper, like just last week, kind of about what Charleston Wine and Food is doing now. Um, you know, we, we can talk, we'll talk a bit about kind of like what, what you have planned for this year, um, kind of in the interim when we can't do an in-person event like we, like we did last year. But as you're looking forward and taking this time, a a year where you don't have to do the permitting and all, all these like very logistical things that take up so much time to just make the festival happen, you're not having to do those this year. So what, you know, what is your team kind of doing right now to think about, uh, the future and next year's festival, hopefully in person, fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, I mean, and right. So like, I'm just talking about what was happening and specifically in the hospitality industry over the past year, but that's like not even touching the layer of conversations around social and racial justice, injustice. Um, so, you know, swirling amidst all of that was was that conversation as well. Our organization had been having conversations about elevating one of our core values, which is diversity for a while prior to COVID. And I think the murder of George Floyd just elevated that for a lot of organizations. But, you know, we, we started going like, okay, like we have these core values. What do they really mean? Right. I mean, they're in handbooks, they're on documents, but like, how are you living and breathing those values in the work that you do? And I think when an event grows to the size of Charleston Wine and Food, you know, I gave you some of the metrics at the at the top of our discussion, you know, figuring out how you change some things that foundationally maybe you don't like is really hard. You don't often get the time for someone to you know, blank slate something and say, okay, if you had to redesign it, what would it look like? And I think that for us, that was the, that was the beauty in some of this, right? Like you get moving so quickly that by the time the festival's over, I think externally, what a lot of people don't realize is that there's a lot that's planned for the next event before the event has even happened. So you get this snowballing effect where you have all these things that you want to do. And then you realize that like, oh my gosh, here we are again and and tickets are going on sale. So I think for us, it was a big organizational reset about like, who do we want to be? How do we want to make people feel? Who is this festival for? And if we say it's for everyone, is it really for everyone? And if it's going to be for everyone, then what sort of things do we need to change in order to like walk the walk and not just talk the talk? Um, you know, I, I consider myself to be, um, you know, a, a very progressive person. And, you know, I, I've learned a lot about myself and the difference between intent and reality over the past year. Um, and I just think even just like, you know, a lot of times as people, well-intentioned people can throw around words like diversity and, you know, and equality, 
pretty easily, but do we really understand what it means for something to be equitable? Yeah. Oh, and I was, I was just going to say, uh, my follow-up question to that, and this is something that there's a lot of unknown factors in this is that the restaurant industry has been impacted so dramatically, and there are going to be so many restaurants that don't exist, you know, a year from now that did exist a couple years before. And we're seeing like more people are doing pop-ups. Um, the, what restaurants look like their business models may look so different. So have you, have you, has your team started to think about kind of as a, as a question mark next to, you know, the diversity and inclusion and equity question mark that you have or, or conversation you're having, have you thought about the ways that like Charleston's model may need to change to kind of change along with the restaurant industry and the way that people may, you know, restaurants and chefs may want to be, um, included or, or participate in a festival differently? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we just started um, a few weeks ago with third-party listening sessions. So, you know, our team out of, actually out of the con, the conversation at the onset um, with a third party asking a lot of questions about how they feel about participating, the resources that participants get. Do they feel like it's enough? Are the resources we support that we're providing wanted or are they not really necessary? You know, like where is the value in event, an event like this? Is it financial compensation? Is it, you know, is it, um, marketing assets is it you know and i know that that's like a dreaded hated term at this point as it relates to to participating in some events but participation and wanting to participate looks different for different entities and when you're talking about a pop up versus a well established restaurant group or an iconic chef like people's reasonings and um and abilities to get from point a to z are very different so i think like again, you go back to the, a little bit of the equity question is like, you can't, you know, we used to come from this space where it's like, well, but we're providing the same resources to all people and we're not treating anybody any different. But the fact of the matter is that barriers of entry look different for different people that are participating. So I think what we're trying to figure out is how we can be a little bit more, how we can be a little bit more agile in what we're offering to who and how, so that the participation feels really great, no matter who wants to be a part of the festival. Um, and, you know, and that maybe we had restaurants that were participating in multiple events across the, the week. It may be that, you know, people are only participating in a singular thing. Um, capacities of things may very well change. Family style service may be something that we're not touching in, you know, in 2022. But I think, um, you know, that's the, that is the magic of event planners and producers. And I will say, cause I know you guys are in the event planning space too, from time to time that, you know, that's the, that's a little bit of what gives you the wantingness to go back to doing something year after year is that, you know, it's never going to look the same. So to me, it's, it's not necessarily in, intimidating and I don't see my team being intimidated. I think we're inspired, you know, to just shake it up, make it look different. And for once, like at this time where the industry is going like, okay, you are valuable to me, but this is how you would be most valuable. And then we get to lay that brick by brick from the foundation and not try to retrofit anybody back into it. 
Can you talk about what it will be like to dip a toe back into an in-person gathering? I know you've had a lot of time to think about it and there's also just immense uncertainty um, and we're totally in the same boat of just, we're just thinking about it. And I think you're further along than we are. And I would love to hear anything that you've envisioned or learned so far. Well, I think that something that I'm really excited about is that, um, you know, one of the most inspiring things for me during my interview process seven and a half years ago is just like the fiery passion that people have for this event in the city and how protective they are, are they are of it. Um, and you could probably go around town and find at least two dozen people that would tell you that they founded the festival, right? And people have opinions about that. But what that tells me is so many people take ownership of it, right? Like this matters to me and what you do with this thing matters matters to me. And so I think to answer your question, Katie, it's, I, I think maybe going back a little bit to the roots of like the planning outside of the internal team and really trying to make sure that, you know, there are a lot of events we've collaborated as, as, um, on content before HRN and the festival, but I think like really just taking it like drop by drop, how can we work internally and externally to produce events that feel really, really meaningful. And I think from a, like from a COVID standpoint, just like being super flexible. I mean, I don't even want to say that we've cracked the nut on how, especially the culinary village is going to look. It's about having lots of space to produce things in, um, you know, try, we're reading absolutely everything that's out there about, you know, food, like how do we ratchet up food safety and, you know, looking at people, even like retailers now who are doing things really well. Like we've talked about, like, what spaces do we go into right now where we feel like we're being taken care of that? Like it, that making the customer feel like, okay, they've done all the things that they need to do. And then I think, you know, we're going to probably be doing a little bit of surveying of our guests to just say like, you know, what, what sort of events do you want to be in right now? What sort of things make you feel comfortable? So that again, you, you're talking about like what the industry feels good about, but I think we also have to pay attention to what guests feel comfortable with. And we can't just like magically go back to exactly the way things were if people, you know, are not ready for that, or it's not safe to do that. And, um, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic that there's going to be lots of things, um, for us to be able to enjoy. We just maybe, you know, we may have a little more space to do it and, um, we may be carrying masks around too, you know? And another thing that has happened between last year and this year is, you know, around last summer with the George Floyd protests, um, you know, the, the festival put out a statement that you wouldn't be doing events at plantations any longer. Um, and also there was something about the, the statue at Marion Square as well, right? So, um, you know, I think, well, my question is like, how does that kind of also lend, lend itself to like your team getting really creative with what other venues and, and you know, event venues could, could look like for next year or, or beyond? Well, you know, I mean, 
I think that that conversation, it's, it's funny. You know, you not funny is not the right word, but you know, you read comments and people are like, Oh, Charleston's history is awful. Then you just can't have an event anywhere in Charleston. Well, that's kind of ridiculous, right? Like that's not the truth. I think it's about being really mindful of the spaces that we we produce events in the type of event we're producing in what spaces and that, um, folks that have the, the right to be telling those stories, sharing those stories, leading the way on what is produced where. So, you know, we have an, I have an amazing board of directors. We brought some new folks on over COVID. We've been, again, looking externally in conversations with, um, some folks at the International African American Museum and the Avery Research Center and the you know African American Tourism um, Coalition and there's just there's lots of there's lots of people that are so excited to contribute that I just you know my staff is is primarily white women um, you know and you can't see me right now but I'm a white woman and I think that um, again I go back to what I said at the top about you know, intention and reality. And I think that in the ability to be more external and to be more collaborative, we're going to end up being able to make not just well-intentioned decisions, but deliberate decisions about where we produce events. And if we are going to go to a historic home somewhere on the peninsula, then why are we there doing our due diligence to understand what happened there best we can and to have more people than just my team deciding that that event X is going to take place in location Y. And that takes more work, right? But that's that's part of it. I think, um, you know, it's more than we all know. It's more than black squares and, you know, and quotes and all of those things. And um, I just it's part of what makes my job more inspiring today, even than it was a year ago, I think, is that there is a platform here and an opportunity to um, instigate some change. And hopefully, even if, even if people don't agree with everything that we um, do or say, that maybe it's going to make some other organizations think about how they can use their, um, their circle of influence and the ripple that they have to create some bigger and broader change that needs to be made. Jillian, this is so refreshing to just talk to anybody at this time. Like Everyone's talking about the one year anniversary, but to see it as a time of optimism and growth. I mean, I think like we're all tired of the word pivot and, you know, it's just been, everybody's been doing it endlessly and it it's, it's goes without saying at this point. Um, but just to sort of hear the excitement in your voice about the opening of possibilities, um, the expansion of potential and um, the fulfillment of impact um, is is really something beautiful. And um, I, I know we're getting close to the end of our time, but I did also want to ask um, and hone in a little bit. So Charleston Wine and Food is a nonprofit organization like HRN. I'm wondering if um, there have been any sort of changes or reinforcements in the application of your nonprofit mission. And maybe you could share what that is and then if that's changed or if that's been further cemented during this time. I mean, I think it's, that's a great question. I think it's definitely been cemented and it's interesting. Um, you know, I've talked to some other executive directors 
of not just um, you know, not just food festivals, but in nonprofits across the board, not even necessarily just in the food space. And I think everybody to a degree during this time has felt this like wiggling a little bit of like, were we doing the things that we were supposed to be doing? Like, and like, I just feel like if you're not doing, if you're not doing that, then, um, you know, like, I don't know that maybe you should, maybe you should just like ground down, feel your feet, look around and think about like, was the application that we were using before did it, maybe it made sense, but is it going to make sense moving forward? And I think that some pieces of, of what we do are absolutely still tried and true. And that's that we exist to serve the community that we live in, that we shine a light on the culinary and hospitality community by, you know, creating experiences and storytelling. And we are this big spotlight engine, but Again, I think that like when I go back to like reading the words and really understanding if we can fill bigger shoes, I think the answer is yes. Whose stories are we telling? How are we telling them? Um, who's participating in the planning and the programming? And I just, I think that we, we are a bit of a cruise ship and cruise ships can make big waves and that's a beautiful thing. But um I think that it just may look a little bit different moving forward, you know, and it, and it should be, I think that we had, we had some great pieces of programming in 2020 that again, like got a little bit muted with COVID, like right on our heels. There's so many people that would tell you Charleston wine and food is the last quote unquote normal thing that they did before COVID. But I mean, there were some unbelievable events with soul strolls and celebrations, you know, at the Avery research center talking about the three. 350th anniversary of the trans transatlantic slave route. And I mean, just unbelievable pieces of content being shared. And I think that we de we need to do more to celebrate the ingredients and how they got here. And not just in the way that like my team thinks would be interesting, but people who have the authentic stories and history and voices to, to share um, those ingredients and the reason why, you know, why do you love shrimp and grits in Charleston? How did it get here? So I don't, I don't know. I am, I am inspired. And I think that it's really easy to also get in this place where you're like too scared to shake things up, too afraid to make a mistake. And I think that there's too many people counting on us to, to not try. Um, and this thing has been built to a certain size and people are looking at it and they love it. So like, let's make them fall in love with it for new reasons. It doesn't mean that it needs to be like, everything gets overhauled and changed, but like, let's expand it and make it, make the arms wider so that more people feel embraced by it. And to me, that's, that's an awesome thing. That's an awesome challenge. So, I mean, I'm getting just as inspired as you are now. I mean, this is just like a really, really uplifting, hopeful conversation and something to look forward to, even though, in my opinion, it's much too far away. Um, I cannot wait for next year. Um, all my fingers and toes are crossed that everything happens it needs to so that we can do this in person. But in the meantime, uh, your team is planning some events, some virtual events for this year so that people can get a little bit of a taste of Charleston. And, you know, if they're missing it a lot, they can 
feel like they're there a little bit. So tell us about what you have planned for this year. Well, I mean, we are doing a little dabble into the virtual um, programming. You know, it didn't feel right to try to take the festival and make it an online version of itself. Like that just didn't really, um, that didn't really sit well with us. But that's not to say that all virtual programming should be thrown out the window, because I think the beautiful thing about virtual programming is that it helps you lean into the accessibility conversation, right? So, you know, for people that can't get to where you are, it allows you to offer free things or really low cost things. So we've got, we just, um, closed on a virtual Waffle House Smackdown. Congratulations to Chris Shepard, who took home um, the Master Blaster Trophy in our wa virtual Waffle House Smackdown. But we've got some cooking classes with um, Rashonda Grant of the Carolina Cookery and Carrie Mori of Callie's Hot Little Biscuit. We've got some wine tasting coming up virtually. And all of this stuff is going to be free. And, um, you know, and then I think that you, Katie and I may have um, another moonlit experience together on a panel discussion later this month too with world central kitchen. So there's a lot of good things in the hopper. So excited. Thank you. Well, I think my last question for you, unless Katie or Hannah have anything else they want to include. I just wanted to know on a personal level, what you are looking forward to the most when things go back to quote unquote normal life. Oh, like sweaty dance parties. <laughs> you know, I think one of my favorite moments of the Wine and Food Festival every year is the finale events. And, you know, like your equal parts, like blissed out and exhausted. And I am always like almost on the verge of tears. Like if you say just the nicest thing, then I'm just like, a am a barrel of tears. I'm a crier anyway. Um, but I mean, it's usually the first time I really see my husband in many days. And I just like, I love to dance. We dance at home a lot with my five-year-old daughter. Sometimes she ropes my senior teenage son into the mix, but like live music, like just clinking glasses, dancing close, standing in the middle of like some sort of live music concert atmosphere. I think that that's what I'm, I'm really looking forward to. And like loud, crowded New York restaurants, like let me overhear your conversation next to me and I will absolutely contribute to it because I'm eavesdropping. Like I don't mind sitting shoulder to shoulder in the best New York restaurants. So those are the things for sure. Well, that brings a tear to my eye. <laughs> Likewise. I'm ready. Yeah, eavesdropping is the unsung greatest loss of COVID. <laughs> True story. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But man, I can't remember the last time I eavesdropped. Yeah, because even if you're out in a mask, you can't understand what anyone's saying. I feel like so many people don't realize like that's the like deliciousness of eating in New York too, though. Right. Like it's like how many people per square foot. Right. And rent and all those things, which I know in your other amazing shows, you talk about all like the, the business of all of those things, but the amount of times that I've just like overheard something. I mean, even in Boston, I remember going to Neptune oyster bar and like my husband and I are like shoulder to shoulder. And we literally met a couple from Charleston that her, the husband <laughs> worked in real estate in the office above where we used to be. And you just wouldn't, you can't do that now. You don't get that from six feet away. So I'm just like, nudge me. I don't care. I'm ready for it. <laughs> that sounds amazing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jillian, thank you so much for sitting down with us virtually for HR and happy hour and catching us up on everything that's been going on at Charleston Wine and Food. Obviously, we've been following things closely because, you know, we're just waiting with bated breath to know when we can get back to to Charleston and and relive relive our, you know, favorite memories from last year and and make some really exciting new ones. I can't wait to see kind of what you know, I, I don't want to say like new Charleston wine and food looks like, cause I think they're the, the heart and soul of it will always kind of be the thing that makes it what it is. But I think there's going to be so many incredible opportunities for your team to do really new, big, exciting things. So I'm really looking forward to that. And thanks again for joining us. Thank you. And on a personal note, I want to say, because it's International Women's Day, there are a lot of good dudes in this industry, but you three ladies, man, and my team of women, I have a lot of pride for surrounding myself from for, with strong women. And I'm I'm really, really just grateful to be in your company. So thank you for what you do. The feeling Cheers is that. so mutual. Yeah. Absolutely. Right back at you. The Charleston Wine and Food Women are some of the best, the best that we get the privilege of working with. So, um, so happy to be in your company. Well, thanks so much for listening to HR and happy hour. Um, we will be back soon with more. So make sure you subscribe and like, and rate and review our show and be the first to know all the inside scoop at heritage radio network. HR and happy hour is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.